I'm Jasmine Moradi, and you're listening to the Queens of Tech podcast, a podcast series about raising the voice of workplace champions. 60 plus questions in around 30 minutes with women, non-binary and transgender influencers about their journey into STEM, science, technology, engineering and mathematics. I started the Queens of Tech podcast initiative in May 2022 because I would like to retain more women, non-binary and transgenders in the tech industry. Talent is out there, but our work environment needs to improve for all to feel safer, stay authentic and to be valued for our contributions. My vision is to raise the workplace ecosystem for all in the tech industry by killing the imposter syndrome, stopping bad behavior and increasing equity opportunities. Each podcast talk is built around 60 plus questions regarding upbringing, education, career path, DEIB, and future advice. My mission is to bridge the gap between schools and workplaces by getting to the heart of my guests' personal life and career journey to inspire other girls, women, non-binary, and transgenders to unleash their full potential to reach top leadership roles in the tech industry. My goal is to raise the voice of tech champions around the world and together with companies, investors, and politicians, raise the challenges and opportunities around equity, inclusive diversity, and belonging in our workplaces. Enough is enough. I would like to enforce companies to build a sustainable, inclusive culture, to retain diverse talent, so we keep the workplace power equity to continue building future diverse and inclusive products. Your voice matters. In this episode, I'm very excited to welcome my guest, Tech Queen Karen Dova, co-founder and CEO of No Isolation. Hi, Karen. Hello. I'm very happy to have you joining us from Norway today. How are you? Good. I'm happy it's spring, but still snow in the mountains. You can go skiing and then have a bit more warmth in the city. That's great. I'm glad to hear. Now, let us dive into your journey into STEM. Hope you're ready for the Queens of Tech 60 plus questions. Go ahead. Let's warm up with a few fun facts about you. How would you describe your personality in three hashtags? I'm uh, optimistic, passionate, and very impatient. How would you describe your life in three sentences? It's a uh, fast pace, but with lots of comforts and laps. I have a family that I spend a lot of time with and friends that I value highly and a job that I've designed myself. So right now I'm in a very good place. What kind of music stimulates and motivates you the most? I'm actually an audiobook person, so I rarely put on music myself, but a good book every day. What is your personal motto? It's better in Norwegian. Boka bibra. But I'll try in English. The book about this will be great. Meaning that if anything goes wrong, at least there's a story to tell. It doesn't translate very well, but you get the gist. What is your favorite book? Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. What is your favorite podcast? It's a Norwegian one as well. So it's a UX podcast about usability, which is great. Mac or PC? Say something interesting about you that most people don't know. I know everything there is to know about Henry VIII, as in the king in England back in the days. I actually think I know everything. I've read everything at least three times. What is your hidden talent? So I've uh, taught myself how to rose paint, which is kind of a traditional art form that I enjoy a lot. If you were going to write a book about your life, what would the title be? 
oh no, exclamation mark, and then never mind, in like parentheses. Great start. Now, let us dig deeper. Our childhood has an effect on our adulthood. Our early experiences shape our belief about ourselves, others, and the world. Now, I want to discover your childhood. Where did you grow up? Oslo, Norway. What was your dream job as a child? Either dentist or like doing ceramics pottery. So I didn't know. And then I grew up thinking that I was going to go into a bank when I was more like a teenager. And I was so wrong on all of those accounts. So I had no idea. What was your favorite subject in school? Math. What was your least favorite subject? Religion. What is your earliest memory of technology and the arrival of the internet? I have two things. So Amazon, definitely, like that made an impact on me. But my dad also sold internet back in the day where you had to actually buy a CD and install internet on your computer. And he got a platinum plate because he had sold 100,000 of these like internet installation discs. So uh, I thought that was cool as well. Which were the three first technology gadgets you owned? I think that's pretty standard. Phone, a mobile phone and a disc man. And yeah, we had a home computer. Who was your female role model growing up? Pippi Longstockings, I think, is my uh, like number one. The one I've been looking up to a lot. She is cool. How do you think where you grew up and the school you went to and the generation you come from influence your education and career choice? So greatly. I've been uh, extremely privileged. And you don't think about that when you grow up, right? But I've been in a family who's not seen gender, which is great and wasn't naturally a part of our generation necessarily. But my mom and dad has never seen me as a girl in quotation marks. I also think the educational system, although it didn't fit me very well, it was ready to adapt to how I thought. Uh, I have ADHD, so I'm, I'm a bit all over the place. They manage that. Yeah, no, I think I've been extremely lucky, which in the worst word is privileged. Interesting. Now, I'm going to read two quotes. First one. How does the universe expect me to choose a career path at 16? I can't even choose what I want for dinner. Second, Abraham Lincoln said, I quote, The best way to predict your future is to create it. So, Cookie, I want to know the choices behind your career path. Where and what did you study at university? I started studying economics at the University of Edinburgh because I thought at that point that I was going to go into like banking. That is the most boring six months of my life. So I dropped out when Christmas came, went back to Oslo with tail between my legs and thought, okay, now I'll turn into nothing. But then a friend of mine recommended that I check out computer science. I had no relationship to that at all and programming. So I ended up at the Institute of Informatics Computer Science at the University of Oslo, where I never thought I'd actually go because I thought I'd be out of here. But the universe has in some way brought me back to Oslo every time I've tried to leave. So here I am. And uh, I fell in love with computer science and UX design. Never looked back. Who and what influenced you to get into your choice and field? I don't necessarily see risk in the same way as others. So I don't think about things as long as a lot of other people do. Uh, so when my uh, friend Ingrid said, hey, I think you'll love computer science, I thought, what the hell, maybe I will. So it wasn't a very conscious choice. I was more, yeah, in a place where I didn't have a plan at all. Might as well do that and fell in love. What professional roles have you had before? 
So early on in my studies, I got a part-time job at something called Startup Lab, which is a tech incubator right next to the university. So it's on campus. I ended up spending much more time there than I uh, should have studied more. But it was so cool seeing all of these entrepreneurs starting their own companies, all of their passion and dedication to what they were doing. I found kind of my people, uh, it felt like. And then I uh, I co-founded another company called UX Lab, which was a very deep learning curve. Uh, ended up going back to my uh, old job at Startup Lab for a period and then starting No Isolation. What does No Isolation do? We are a tech company uh, started initially by three uh, engineers wanting to prove that warm technology can exist and must exist. And so we started out developing uh, a tool for kids with long-term illness. And when we first founded the company, we didn't know what products we wanted to build. We knew that we wanted to solve an issue. And then we spent a lot of time researching what happens to kids with long-term illness and how can we actually build a product for them. And ended up with AV1 telepresence robot. And then later on, we've built another product for the analog seniors, which is the world's simplest computer. It's been very cool. And I hope long-term that no isolation can and will develop tech products for all demographics that kind of fall outside of the society. What is your title and what is your main responsibilities? I'm CEO, which I think means that I'm responsible for it all. And right now I have the luxury of having two managing directors, one for AV1 and one for Comp. Uh, so now I'm working very hard on making sure that our products are developing in the direction they should, that we are building the right scaling plans and that first and foremost, that the people working at No Isolation are happy and feel like they're doing a great job, which I found that if they think so, it's right. It's never me who decides that. What does a typical workday look like for you? I think there is no typical workday for me. I love the quote, choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life. What do you love about your role? I love that I have the power to do good. I love that I have the opportunity to implement ways of working systems that actually increases diversity, that make sure that we can have a work-life balance. I love that I get to be part of recruiting people who might actually have fallen outside of the society. I love that I get to make products and measure their impact and then improve on our products. So yeah, I get to double down on the things I care about and kind of set the tone that's important to me. And what is the best experience you've had in your role so far? Any examples? In general, user stories are the ones that whenever you can actually talk to or hear from a user that makes your week, month, year <laughs> worth it. Uh, so those are the highlights. I also think whenever you get good feedback from the team that now are doing the right things, that sticks and what is the biggest challenge of encountered so far and how did you tackle it? The greatest challenge of the entire no isolation journey has without question been complexity. There's a lot of difficult tasks in fundraising, product development, scaling, hiring. All of them individually are okay, or at least I experienced them as manageable. What's been a challenge for me, and especially with who I am, I'm quite good at hyper-focusing. But then when you have the complexity of so many things that needs to go well at the same time, that in itself becomes a big challenge for me. But yeah, I think I've overcome that challenge or managed it by having great people around me and dividing up responsibility and making sure that's not all on me because it shouldn't be and it cannot be. What do you wish everybody understood about your role? 
there's a lot of people who actually, for some weird reason, has a lot of sympathy with the CEO role. If you think of no isolations role in society, I would love for people to understand that if we actually prevent social isolation and loneliness, it will give us so much joy and it will save us so incredibly much money. And I would love for the world to kind of realize that happiness in itself is very profitable. That would be great. And what is the one common myth about your profession that you want to disapprove? I think the common misunderstanding that I would love to disapprove is that tech is something evil and mean. Technology is pure and simple a tool that does what it's designed to do. And it's the engineers and designers that are to blame whenever technology does anything wrong. I would love for that to kind of be a change of mindsets in the population that technology in itself is absolutely nothing. What do you love about working in the tech industry? Oh, I love the pace. I love the way people are actually inventing new things. I love that there are so many minds who hate status quo and that challenges status quo. Yeah, the general just level of creativity is great. I think very few industries have the same luxury of like crazy people running around with ideas that can actually come true. That's brilliant. Oprah Winfrey said, I quote, think like a queen. A queen is not afraid to fail. Failure is not a stepping stone to greatness. What has by far been your biggest achievement in your career? Well, no isolation. And the fact that we're still alive and thriving is definitely that. I also have a daughter. Whenever, like during birth, they, they kept saying, the nurses, that, oh, your drugs are great, you're brave. You have no choice. You cannot pull out of that situation where I'm like, this is not fucking brave. If I couldn't leave, I would have left right now. And I think it's much braver and much heavier to choose to stay in the development of a company. And there's nothing in your nature telling you that you have to endure this. So choosing to endure that is, I'm more proud of that. What is the biggest factor that has helped you become successful? Any success habits? I'm very solution-oriented, and I think that lies in the optimism. I want to see the positive side of things, and uh, my head automatically goes to the plus side, uh, which I think what made this all possible at all. How do you measure your own performance at work? Oh, through the OKRs and uh, through our, yeah, all of the metrics that we have chosen to follow, like NPS scores and active units out in the market and employee NPS, so many metrics. What would you say is your biggest failure in your career and what did you learn from it? I have tons. I think during my years at Startup Lab, I was depressed without a doubt, without coping with it in a very good way. I was seeing a psychologist kind of medium trying to fix myself, but without putting actual effort into it. And I ended up hitting a, a wall quite massively. I was out of work for seven months, didn't go to the store or anything. And great learning from that is that you have to check yourself before it gets too bad, which has been very valuable in the years of no isolation to take a break when you need a break and to actively work on your own head as well. In no isolation, I've done a lot more practical mistakes. Like of the, we've scaled too fast. We've made assumptions and I've made assumptions that uh, has been wrong. I've too often listened almost too much without making up my own opinion, which I think is a thing that a lot of young founders do. They listen to advice without recognizing that I'm actually the expert of what I'm doing right now. No one else has the same amount of insight. 
I've gotten better at that. I'm still, um, you know, the imposter syndrome thing. Like you, you think everyone else is better at everything. But I think learning that uh, I'm on top of the things that are happening here, and then I will listen to advice, but I will make up my own opinion after I've heard that advice. Been a tough learning where I've made a lot of mistakes. What would you say is inspiring and motivating you the most in your role and career right now? Our users, without a doubt, whenever they have specific requests and stuff that they want to see in our products, it's, it's very motivating because you know they're engaged, they like what they have, but it could be even better. Stuff like that is very motivating. Let us now jump into the influence of mentors, role models, champions, and sponsors. Role models can consciously or subconsciously be a powerful force in our lives. In addition, champions can stand up and advocate for us and open up the world of possibilities. Sponsors match emerging talent with leaders and influential employees who can help us move ahead in our careers. Do you have a mentor, champion, or a sponsor today? Yes, several. Luckily, I've always had. Not necessarily in the formal form where, hey, you're my mentor and I'm your mentee, but uh, great people advising me that have gradually become friends, even though they're not same age or gender or situation. My first boss at Startup Lab, Alexander, has followed me through my career path, and I will still call him if there's anything I'm wondering about, which is great. Who is the female role model you look up to in your field? There's quite few, actually. Kristin Skogenlund is one of the, like, Norwegian, she's a rock star. History shows that it has been more common for men having mentors, champions, and sponsors in business than women. How important do you think is to have a mentor, champion, or sponsor during one's career? Oh, I think it's crucial. But it depends a lot on your personality as well, like who you connect with and how easy it is for you to let people in. And for me, on the business side, it's been very easy to be super transparent and tell people exactly how things are going. But I've met quite a few both founder colleagues outside of No Isolation where that's not the same and that's not the same case. And I'm, I'm very grateful that it's been easy for me because then it's easier to get mentors as well. You have to let them in and you have to let them know where they can add value to get something out of it, both for them and yourself. But for me, it's been absolutely crucial. They've helped me through ups and downs and all the in-betweens. Let's move on to leadership. Adina Friedman, president and CEO of Nasdaq said, I quote, empowering those around you to be heard and valued makes a difference between a leader who simply instructs and one who inspires. And Shelley Samber, ex-COO of Facebook, said, I quote, leadership is about making others better as a result of your presence and making sure that the impact lasts in your absence. What does leadership mean to you? I think they summarize it quite well. It's all about empowering people, letting them, reflecting back. If everyone here thinks that they're doing a good job and adding value, they're right. It has nothing to do with how I perceive the value they add. Like we have to have a common goal and then move towards that. And everyone needs to see how and when and what they can do to contribute to that goal. It's about inspiring and showing what direction we're going in without taking over any tasks or trying to tell people how to do their job because then I wouldn't have employees. We would have robots. What do you consider a good versus a bad leader? 
I've had leaders that has been decent, but it's been very afraid of conflict, for instance. And that's poor leadership, in my opinion. Like conflict is one of the things that you have to deal with before it's a conflict, meaning that you kind of have to actively seek it out. And so that's been learning from previous jobs where I've seen others not lead, which also is like paving the way for others to not have to go through bad things. Good leadership. There are so many philosophies here and there's so much detail you can go into, but some of it all is just empowerment, isn't Who's your favorite female, non-binary, or transgender tech leader, and why? Can I say Kristin Skogenlund again? I will. How would you describe yourself as a leader? I would love to say that I'm a better leader now than I was seven years ago. I think that's true. But I'm, again, a bit all over the place, which I think we've made measures against with having good systems, having people in the management team that are very organized. So I am not necessarily organized and I think I'm quite inspirational. I have a lot of principles that I would follow to my grave, which I think is good for people to know. Yeah, I a bit all over the place and quite inspirational is the two summary points that I would make. But it would be much more interesting hearing from the others, I should ask. What are your three strengths and three weaknesses? I'm direct, I'm fair and I'm kind. I think that's my three strengths. My weaknesses is the unorganized quite outspoken, which means that I'm often misunderstood. I'll say things uh, too abruptly or have an exclamation mark when none is needed. And last, I think impatient, it can be valuable, but very often I've found myself seeing that's a negative one because you need to breathe. Let us now jump into the hottest topic in business today, workplace culture, unlocking the power of diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. What does diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging mean to you personally? Oh, it means that you get to discuss with people who doesn't necessarily agree with you straight off the bat or where you have to explain what you mean. And that's a good thing for us. It's kind of been at the core of No Isolation since day one. It makes so much sense to me. All the research is there. Like you have to have people with different backgrounds, different experiences. And it's not only about gender, it's age, ethnicity. It's so much. No, it's been a really cool journey here, seeing how that is actually true and how it is incredibly difficult recruiting diversely. We've had policies all along. We've used systems to remove the bias that we know is there. But still, you are recruiting to some extent the homogenic group, right? And we don't have unlimited resources. We're not where I want us to be. And we probably won't be for the next foreseeable future. But we're, we know what we're striving towards, I think, is a good starting point. And diversity to me is just difference of opinion and that makes you a lot stronger because you'll have the discussions internally before you're forced to face them externally. What do you consider being three to five signs of good company culture if you were to join a company? So transparency has to be one of the key values. If management doesn't value transparency, I think it's a lost cause. I would have to see if I was joining a company that they had an old outspoken strategy on like this work-life balance and how they manage that because full freedom means no freedom at all in my experience. And then I would just shield the vibe the second you enter a room if this is a place where you can speak your mind or if you cannot. And it has to be a place where you can freely voice your opinions, thoughts, ideas, stupid or not. That would be my top three. As a woman, what has been the most significant barrier in your career and how have you overcome these challenges? 
I've never been a man, so I don't know what specifically has hit me as a woman. But as a person, I think the greatest barriers, again, has been to create order around me in my head because I don't have that naturally. And yeah, it's been a big obstacle for me where pills help to some extent, but then I like myself better without them. I think having the right people and having them know how to work with me has been a great help. Why do you think it's more important for more women, non-binary and transgenders to join the tech industry today? I think it's the same as the diversity question before. You have to have difference of opinion. And if you have too homogeneous a group, any group, you'll end up making so many mistakes that you could have avoided so easily. I think specifically what we have seen in a couple of incidents in Norway is that female founders focus on different type of problems than men, which would also mean that more female founders means a more diverse selection of solutions, which I, as a consumer, would absolutely love. Uh, so yeah more diversity period do you and how do you speak with your colleagues about deib challenges for example salary gaps and promotions it's such a cool topic. I've worked a lot on something internally called the salary scheme, where we have a transparent uh, scheme for how we set salary, which has been a great opener of any conversation on kind of the salary gaps, uh, because it shouldn't be bias driven. It has your salary should have nothing to do with what you've been paid in your previous job. Like there's so many errors in the way salaries are being paid across the board. And as we wanted to eliminate those in general, I'm invited to speak about diversity and salary gaps in like female entrepreneurship they're really quite a lot and obviously that's taken back to no isolation so that people can be a part of that if they want to should maybe do it more now that you mention it there are many public and internal discussions about the barriers of women non-binary and transgenders face from reaching higher position in the tech industry how do you feel it has affected and is affecting you and what is your advice on how to best unblock these roadblocks well, that's such a good question and one I've been thinking about quite a lot. I, um, I think one of the greatest blocker to any entrepreneur starting a company is going to be the fundraising. And you're going to have to be aware that the group that you are pitching to are going to be primarily male and they're going to be 50 plus. So when you're pitching a product, solution, anything that doesn't naturally translate to that group, you have to bridge that gap. You have to explain why the problem you're fixing is crucial to fix, why the market is big and why it's there, why is it willingness to pay? You have to build a bit more of insight and knowledge in the demographic that you're talking to because they're not a part of it themselves. I think being aware of that will hopefully open doors to a lot more female entrepreneurs because we cannot overnight shift that balance of power. Like it's going to be there for a while. So then we need to understand how does this system actually work? How does human nature work? Uh, they like to invest. Everyone does. We would have too. Like young women wouldn't be any better at this. We would love to invest in things that we understand stand where we can see that we can contribute and we have to meet them on their home turf, not in how we act or anything, but just give them the background that they need to see what, where you're coming from. Today, tech companies spend a lot of marketing money to attract women, non-binary and transgenders. However, at the same time, they're finding it hard to retain them. Articles show that women are leaving the tech industry. What is your best advice on strategies for how companies can work to build a stronger corporate culture that engages gender diversity and equity? 
in any company where, and I've seen this especially at the Institute for Informatics during my studies, we were so few women and they did an amazing job as connecting us. So we still felt part of an actual environment. We were the odd one out. And I think in many companies, you do your diversity hires, uh, to put it like bluntly and ugly, and then you expect that one person to tip the scale or do do do, but you cannot be representing an entire demographic on your own, right? You're not going to make any changes. It has to, unfortunately, or luckily, go through the whole organization. You have to have diversity on all levels for it to become actually true. And it's not a one higher fixes it all type of situation where I think a lot of women will leave because they don't feel like it's a home for them. And what would fix that is to have more people that they actually feel like they can connect. What would you say are the few challenges of implementing diversity, equity, inclusion in a belonging culture in a workplace today? Obviously, it's expensive. It means taking away responsibility from people who's had it for a long time. It is time consuming and you have to invest, which is always a challenge because it's not directly revenue generating, right? It's a long term thing. And we as humans are very bad at planning for the long term. And the companies are typically better at it than just individuals. So I'm hoping that we'll see an actual massive shift. And it's quite cool that a lot of big Norwegian companies companies have managed to do these swaps uh, over the past decade and uh, that bodes well, I think. Why and how do you think companies would benefit from having not just women, non-binary and transgender leaders, but actually higher gender representation at sea level and boardrooms? And this might be Scandinavian specific, but for any small country where you're depending on scaling to make something big, you need it more than anyone because you're going to face a world that doesn't resemble your way of thinking. You might have the Norwegian, Swedish, Danish, Finnish culture under your skin, right? You have to have different perspectives if you're going to ever be able to make it out in the world. And I think the greatest benefit in the companies that are able to actually incorporate diversity, they will see much greater success when scaling. How much do you think the tech industry has changed regarding this subject since you joined? Quite a lot, actually. Uh, in Startup Lab, I can use my very own example. We were at 1.3 women and 110 guys. They weren't measuring anything diversity-wise. They were not necessarily talking about it a lot. This is 13, 14 years ago. Now, everyone is talking about it. They are measuring themselves on gender diversity specifically all of the time. And I think they've reached about a 30%, which is an added zero plus, which is great, right? Then you're getting somewhere. This 50-50 is going to be impossible always, right? You have to strive for the 50-50. And if you strive for that, you're going to continue moving. Looking back on your career, what one thing would you have changed in your working environment to break the bias? I don't know. Looking forward, what will you do as a leader to improve the bias for the next generation of women, non-binary and transgenders in tech? I'm sorry, I fucking hate stages and I hate cameras and it makes me nervous and nauseous and not happy in the days ahead and in the days after. But I keep doing it and I keep saying yes whenever someone asks me to uh, represent. Let us now move on to another hot topic in business today, which is work-life balance and mental health. You have without a doubt a busy lifestyle. How do you take care of yourself to maintain good mental health? I'm really good at this now. 
I work when I work. Uh, that means that I think very little about my husband, my daughter, my parents, my friends. And then I am not at work. I actually put my phone aside and I'm quite good at not spending on the issues that you have, like thinking about any of the things that you could have been thinking about. And I've seen experts quite a few times to learn this and to give myself methods for how can you put aside the great issues Um I think I promote it quite well internally as well. I think you're much, much more efficient if you work eight hours and then leave than if you sit there for 16 hours reading newspapers and competing on who stays the longest at the office. And then, of course, there's project deliveries where you go over that. But uh, in general, yeah, strict lines and work is work, home is home. Have you ever experienced burnout? Yes, I have. It's not too long ago, actually, where I was a bit worried about my own headspace and where it was going. And yeah, I took not a lot, but a bit of time off and told people that, hey, I'm not actually doing so well because you cannot tell by looking at me. I'm quite sure I'm a happy going person, right? You want to just keep going, but then taking a break and letting your management team know, letting my partner know, like I'm in my head now, it's not great. And then it's amazing seeing what happens because everyone takes that seriously, even if I myself struggle a bit to take it seriously. So saying it loud makes it very real. It at least helps me a lot. What is your best advice on how companies can create a more mentally healthy workplace in the new now? I think in general, tech companies are actually quite good at this. And there's a lot of industries that aren't, but we've had the luxury of making a lot of money per head, the industry in itself. And then you can start giving these benefits that will promote work-life balance, right? For us, bringing the Scandinavian model to our British office, to the Munich office, saying that, hey, the government is actually not doing good enough job, that's very impactful, right? And then everyone can see that this is something the employer is doing for me to have a better life. I think there's still work that can be done there but far as i can tell it's in quite a healthy place the tech industry now there's a lot of like legal offices stuff like that where i think they're struggling a lot more music film industry yeah where they haven't really comprehended what it means in value what motivates you every day to get out of bed my colleagues and our users those two now let us wrap up with a few words of wisdom and a piece of advice for our listeners What is the best piece of advice you've been given that has helped you during setbacks in your role and career? Well, there's not one single piece of advice, but uh, in general, you have to remember to breathe. has been quite important for me. I've also been told by Alexander to try to keep my optimism because there's a lot of people who will like discourage you from being a bit naive, uh, try to tell you that now you need to grow up and be realistic. Oh, all those boring things. But for me, being granted the permission to just stay naive and optimistic has been super valuable. I think I need that to just keep going. It is okay. Everything's going to be okay. And the book will be good, which is also great. So whenever anything goes well, hey, there's a story to tell. It's the only way you can look at something going on. And then what is the worst advice you've ever been given and how did you tackle it? Oh, so much bad advice. Scale this quickly, do that, hire this person and take a shortcut here. A lot of advice that has been given from a good place, like people wanting to see you succeed, wanting things to go well, but then without realizing that they don't have the full context or they don't see the limitations of the company of uh, or deliveries, anything. So far, I must admit, I haven't always handled that very well. 
because I've taken that advice or I've uh, yeah tried to listen. Um, I think what I've learned from it is to listen and then decide. Listen and execute uh, are a very bad order of things. Listen, think, and then execute. Is there something you wish you would have known or a skill you wish you had when starting out in the tech industry? Oh, several. I wish I had more confidence. I wish I uh, were older, which is not a skill, but it's definitely a value. I've, I've been joking about this. We found the no isolation. I was 25 and I've been joking about this. I look forward to the day when I look old because I think it's going to give me a lot of stuff for free. And it's so true because now I'm starting to look old, right? And it's amazing. So I'm taking every wrinkle and saying like, yes. I don't know why people assume, and I certainly don't, that there's any like intelligence that can be taught after the age of 18. You are exactly the same person, but you have some experiences and experiences can be given in the shape of advice and you run so much faster, right? So you learn a lot of things. If you had the ability to go back in time to when you were just the beginning of your career, what advice would you give to your younger self? Think again, breathe. Keep your optimism is also something that I uh, could have heard and listened to even earlier because I gave myself a lot of beatings for being me. And the first three, four years of no isolation, I would have been happier during those three years if I had given myself less of a beating. What advice would you give to young girls, women, non-binary and transgenders who want and trying to break into STEM fields today, especially wanting to become next generation leaders? You have to believe that you're good enough because if you don't, no one else will. Uh, you have to just say fuck you to the things you've heard about gender and what girls can and cannot do. That upsets me so much every time I hear these comments and I will not, I cannot repeat because it bothers me too much. So yeah, look past your own gender as well because why the fuck? I don't know, interested in talking about gender in the first place. Can we just put it aside? I'm very over gender. Last but not least, what is next for you in your role and career in tech? What are your career aspirations? Oh, that's an amazing question. I think now that things have kind of settled down a bit more with no isolation, I want some more formal education. And being a leader, I have to grow and I have to keep learning. And I think the next step for me now, because I come from more of a product background, right? So leading has been a job that I've had privilege of getting to grow with. And I've tried to learn very actively on the job. But now I'm ready for more formal education in that field. And that would be amazing. Thank you, Karen, so much for being a guest on the Queens of Tech podcast. Sharing your journey will, without a doubt, inspire, change, and reshape company culture for the next generation of women, non-binary, and transgenders in tech. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have worked in the tech industry a minimum of three years and would like to share your journey, please nominate yourself or somebody you know to i at jasminemoradi.com. For more podcast episodes and to learn more about the Queens of Tech initiative and to support us, visit Queens of